enter these doors tonight into the sacred space in the spiritual church that we call the Crystal Silence League. Tonight we're going to talk about Blackhawk. I promise. I've, I've been teasing you with that carrot at the end of the stick for many weeks now, but we shall talk about Blackhawk tonight. Hey, come back. Get a drink if you like. Have any source. We don't judge you here. Cold, hot, on the rocks, distilled, whatever. Come on back. We love you. No matter who you are and what you drink. Come on back. Probably wasn't enough time for you to shake up a cocktail, um, you know, like mixing a martini or a uh, Rob Roy or anything. But you know, hey, you know, whatever. Probably enough time to go pour a cup of coffee or something. Depends on your time zone, doesn't it? Because in Pacific time, it's about five o'clock, which is a good cocktail hour. Of course, in Eastern time, it's eight o'clock, which is bedtime for some people. And, uh, you know, usually we're getting ready for bed here. We have a four-year-old granddaughter that lives with us, and we're usually winding down. We're usually winding down and getting her in her pajamas, and we're usually in bed by 8.30 or 9. We really are. So this is kind of um, winding down time for me, but I usually get wound up. And uh, if you're wondering what's new in uh, uh, spiritual church life around here, I'm about to add a second building to my church. We're going to put it at right angles to make sort of a uh, a wing, and at some point, we're going to put a third building at another right angle on the other side and make it like an apse. You know what apses are? In medieval churches, it looks like a cross-shaped, like a towel cross. That's what it's going to look like. And this um, extra building, this second building, is uh, going to be a uh, Black Hawk shrine. It will be dedicated to Black Hawk and maybe some other saints, but mostly Black Hawk, and it'll have lots of Native American uh, artifacts in it. And uh, the funding for the building was generously donated by uh, one or more of my clients. So a few of my clients have uh, uh, donated funds for that building fund, and uh, they wish to remain anonymous, so I'm not going to thank them. But there will be a plaque on my uh, little church. Uh, dedicating it to them. The first one, I donated the funds. The big building of Divine Harmony Spiritual Church, uh, the funds came from me. Um, and uh, this church, though, is uh, the funds were donated by some members of my congregation. So that's very cool. And bless them. And they will benefit from the blessings thereof. Um, Crystal Silence League, of course, was founded around 1917 by a magical adept named Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of sending out, projecting positive affirmation and prayer to all those in need, all those who asked, and some who did not, just those who need. And this was done through the agency of crystals and crystal balls. And members of the Crystal Silence League were given a small crystal ball through which they could project and receive blessings and we have literature available through our gift shop. teaches you how to do this. And we have a newsletter that you can subscribe to freely. 
and download the archives where we teach you how to do these methods, the four branches of crystallomancy. And I've written a book that you can obtain called Crystal Magic that you can read up on these techniques, and they will change your life. If you practice these techniques, your life will change for the better. Sometimes people say these things will change your life, and uh, you don't know if it's going to change. It's like, well, how? <laughs> for the better or for the worse. If you practice these techniques, they'll change your life. They can bring you prosperity and luck and love. If you practice these techniques, they will. They'll change your life for the better. They will. Not everything does. Uh, sometimes you go to seminars of uh, motivational speakers, and they sell you a whole bunch of stuff. Your life will change. Your life will change. Well, your bank account changes, but that's the only thing that changes your bank account, your bank balance. But our literature doesn't cost much. If you buy, in fact, a $5 crystal ball or crystal, you get one of the books free. So, you know, they, or a donation, you get a book, free book. My book's not free, but that's because it costs us a lot to publish it, and it's $9, I think. So it's not that big an investment. And we're coming out with a sequel called Lithomancy, Divination and magic and healing with uh, crystals or stones and crystals and coins. Yes, coins. So you can get that as well. Um, so we have a body of literature that helps you with this stuff. And if you go to another uh, area of our crystalsilenceleague.org, www.crystalsilenceleague.org, which is where you can find us, and we're on Facebook. Who isn't? Um you'll see that there's a prayer page where you can post prayers, and prayers are always free at the Crystal Silence League, which is, of course, under the umbrella of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches. And we get about 200 prayers a week on there, and we pray passionately for our congregation. The pastors of the Crystal Silence League were honored to do that. And we have many ways we pray. Lots of times we print out uh, about a dozen of those prayers a day and put them on our altars and we pray it with our crystal balls and send you positive affirmation and prayer. Just thought you might like to know that, the mechanism of our prayer ministry. And we also, uh, on my weekly show, I read some of these prayers out loud and we'll do some of that and I invite you to join us in prayer. And prayer is not only good for those for whom we pray, but also for us. Prayer helps us too. Because as we send, we also receive. We shouldn't pray just for that, you know, to get the bennies from it, but because it's the right thing to do, to wish those in need a better life and blessings. It's just the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do, to love and heal and wish for a better life and freedom from suffering everyone else. It's just the right thing to do. It's just the decent thing to do. And that's what we do. Tonight we're going to talk about Leafy Anderson and Blackhawk and uh, various other topics as they occur to me. And we'll talk about our crystal of the week, which is Apophyllite, which helps you get in touch with spirits and spirit guides. And we'll talk about a lot of things. I guess we should start with that crystal of the week. And... Uh, Apophyllite comes in a lot of different colors. Um, it, it's funny, many crystals, uh, for instance, apophyllite can be a very a clear crystal, but it can also be green and brown and purple and blue and yellow. And 
it can run the gamut of every chakra, basically. And uh, I'll tell you that it has a very high vibration. It's got a large water content. Um, so it is linked to spiritual activities. And it will generally energize your entire body. Uh, it said that apophyllite will energize your pineal gland and help awaken uh, your spirit, awaken your psychic energies, and uh, energize you with a very high vibrational energy. And uh, it's a it's a unique crystal. The vibration that comes from apophyllite, uh, it's a very unique harmony. Um, if you're if you're stressed, filled with anxiety and tension, you can place these in your environment or carry them. And uh, they will they don't absorb it, but they deflect it. They uh, project it away from you. The uh, they project stress away from you, and they attract uh, spiritual light energy from the higher realms, and they give you this hopeful and optimistic feeling. And these feelings of doom and gloom you can sometimes get. Uh, the worst case scenario type of thinking uh, that changes that transforms into uh, optimism and hope and if you're uh, attempting to communicate with a spirit with your guides with your angels uh, you can find this in uh, points that look like a pyramid um, place it on your crown chakra and or place it on your third eye, and I'm going to tell you that if you can find a little uh, torus, a little rubber donut, uh, this helps quite a bit. You know, trying to balance uh, uh, a loose crystal on your head, or while you're um, trying to meditate, or you find a little uh, pillow about the size of a powder donut, and uh, uh, you know, like a little buckwheat pillow uh, that, of the type that you put uh, singing bowls or crystals, crystal balls on, and you put this on your head and you balance the crystal on it. This helps quite a bit. Uh, <clears throat> people have asked me, say, how do you balance a crystal on your head? Well, you lay it on something, a little rubber donut of some sort. Um, you put the crystal on that. It's very simple to put balance that on your forehead, or you don't have to concentrate on keeping it in balance, although that can be a very good meditation exercise. So these are some of the things you can do with the pophilite. And... Um, um, there, there's uh, the ones that are mostly used are the clear ones or the green ones, and uh, um, some of them are white. Uh, they, they come in. I've seen them in every color, um, and I'll tell you that because they have a large uh, water content, they conduct. They're conductors. They conduct uh, static electricity, uh, bioelectrical energy, and. Uh, uh, the ones that are highly sought after are the ones that have a natural, not a polish or cut, but a natural uh, pyramid shape. And uh, sometimes you'll find them attached to other minerals. Um, and uh, they're found all over the world. They're just everywhere. So um, I'm going to tell you that they're not expensive at all. You can get them um, anywhere from $5 to $20, depending on how big the cluster is. And uh, you can get huge pieces, uh, you know, that you can't get your hand around for about 25 or $30, big pieces of them, if, if you like the big crystals. Um, so it's uh, it's very good. Um, 
very good stone for helping you connect with your spirit guides, which, of course, is what we're talking about, right? That's Apophyllite. I may not have spelled it correctly, but um, if you put it in Google, Google will correct it. But Apophyllite. Let us turn our eye toward our prayer ministry as we do each week. And if you'd like to go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org, not .com, but .com might take you there. I don't know, but .org. <coughs> Pardon me. And go to the prayer petition page, prayer requests. You can follow along with me. Now, I see more than you do. I see all, know all, and tell a great deal more. Because I'm a pastor, I can go to the secret back room, and I see pictures and names. I see who you are. But I'm not going to call out these names because I only use prayer ID. Now, if you're a member, I think you can see more. Um, if you're a pastor, you see everything. I see everything you put up there. I see everything that you want to tell us. And I'm going to read these prayers out loud only by prayer ID. So if you feel the urge of spirit to pray along with me, please do so. And wish the following people healing and affirmation. Prayer ID 69969, who prays Archangel Raphael, whose name means God heals with light. Please help Jay to heal from years and years of horrible abuse. Let her understand the true meaning of love, the true meaning of intimacy without the abuse. Heal her precious heart. Make her strong and self-aware. Give her the strength to move beyond the layers she created from trauma and fear. I ask that you fill me with the ability to assist you in this healing process. Thank you, heavenly being of green light. Amen. Prayer ID 69968. Lord, we need this a chance to sell these vehicles would be exactly what we need to take the curse from stopping us. They're trying to sell some cars and trucks and make some money, help them sell this these vehicles so they can get some money. Amen. Prayer ID 69967. I pray P gets over his fear and contacts me. Amen. Prayer ID 69966. Lord, help me to succeed those auditions with America's Got Talent. Help me get the million dollars. I sent my songwriting entry form competition by mail to Nashville to be a big winner to succeed with competition opportunities for songwriter to win $25,000 to find good agency manager in the name of Jesus. Amen. She wants to win America's Got Talent and get the million. I, good luck. I hope you win it. Prayer ID 6. I was I was mad that Puddles didn't Puddles pity party didn't get further than he did, but you know, wasn't meant to be. Prayer ID six nine nine six five bust away through all my current petitions, manifest them in a quick manner. Make it so. Bless all those who pray for me and bring good fortune to those here at Crystal Silence League. Amen. God bless you, son. God bless you. Prayer ID six nine nine six four. Please help. E's brother to heal and send good spirits their way also by me and E so we can meet tonight and I can find a decent situation by Saints Anthony, Expeditus, Jude, and Michael. Amen. Prayer ID 69963. Everything in my favor waiting for answer. Court case and legal prayer here. From defendant, no response, yet it blocks. Prayers to remove the block settlement offer. Got hit by a car. Foot got ran over foot was damaged 
She wants a settlement. Amen. Get some money, girl. Priority 69962. My toddler stuck my cell phone in coffee. I've been letting it dry in rice, but it still won't work. I need it for work, and money isn't available for a new one. Please pray my cell phone will work again. Let's heal that cell phone. Let's pray it back to life. Amen. Prayer ID 69961. Almighty Father, I sincerely thank you on behalf of my family for the for how far we have come. Almighty Father, bless 2018 to be a year of great fortune, good health, breakthroughs, and to be more spiritual and close to you. I thank all the prayer warriors who've been praying for me and my family. Thanks for the gift of life. Almighty Lord, heal my nephew who is in ICU in your mighty name. Thanks for the blessings of baptism for our kids. Let my wife and kids grow healthy, strong, intelligent, and wise in your name. Amen. Prayer ID 69959. The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord God. Remove all blockages and cross conditions between C and B. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Remove all blockages and cross conditions between C and B. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will let you go. Remove all blockages and cross conditions between C and B. Amen. Prayer ID 69957. I pray for my darling M and to reconcile and remain together in eternal peace, love, and happiness. I pray for my darling M and I to be healed by God's love so we may enter in a loving commitment. Amen. Pray ready 69956. I pray the stars, the powers above, the cosmos provide that it may bind hearts and minds, undo the ill will, destroy the negative forces, and command good fortune. Divine abundance upon me, money, success, abundance, freedom, for the sake of life, survival, love, meaning, safety, and natural life instinctive needs. The cosmos, the forces unseen, magnetize and perform. The gracious, caring power of nature yield, give, provide, unleash all the good I need, like the rays of the sun. Amen. Prayer ID 69955. Father, protect my daughter. Heavenly Father, forgive all our sins. Deliver us from devil's chains. Touch, heal our mind, body, and soul. Father, have mercy, grace on my daughter. Touch, heal her completely. You know, shower your blessings of knowledge, wisdom, good health, joy, peace, happiness, and protection on her. Help her in exam and study. No one may hurt or harm her. Protect her from all evil, illness, and infection. Provide her all needs, healthy, and food. Destroy all evil plans to hurt or harm us. Protect me. Protect my job. Amen. Some, some mighty prayers tonight. Let's take a moment to pray and send positive meditations and prayers to all those in need of faith and affirmation and healing.
Amen and bless you all. Tonight, after after teasing and uh, much procrastination and tangent generating, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the spirit of Black Hawk and Leafy Anderson. Um, you know, I, I walk a tightrope up here, folks and ladies and gentlemen, and uh, you know, it doesn't take much to blow me off that wire and <laughs> off onto many tangents. Uh, the problem with living as long as I have, and being a uh, a geek as I am and reading as much as I do about many things is that uh, I do that. My my head is crammed full of knowledge of all sorts of stuff, and without a real guideline or outline, which I don't, I don't work from notes or anything, once I get talking, and I don't have a co-host to keep me online, uh, I do better that way if I have a, you know someone to uh, keep me online. And uh, I, I did that once or twice. I had someone that uh, kept me online, and I did much better. That said, well, back back to the subject, and I worked very well that way. Uh, you know, it, yes, that's very interesting, John. But back 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 online, uh, uh, I just tend to follow whatever train of thought that that uh, rambles and uh, uh, perambulates all all through you know my brain. But we're going to try to stay on topic tonight. I want to tell you about Leafy Anderson, who was uh, the founder. Uh, of the spiritual churches. Now, spiritual churches was an outgrowth of spiritualist churches, and I'll tell you that uh, most people, when you talk about spiritualism, will tell you or assume that spiritualism was founded by the Fox sisters, and you know, in in England. Well, that's white spiritualism. That's European spiritualism, and. Um, I want to tell you though that spiritualism goes back thousands of years. Every every civilization, every society had spiritualism. This is the idea that you talk to spirits and spirits answer. And to say that spiritualism was founded by the Fox sisters, you know, and popularized by the writings of Arthur Conan Doyle is only true in a limited sense. That's kind of like saying uh, religion was founded by Jesus. Um, uh, you know that God, that the idea of God was founded by Jesus. Uh, that's only true in a very limited sense. Uh, Christianity, um, arguably, was was founded by uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, you, it, it, it's not true. Uh, spiritualism was popularized by historical movements, the Crimean War, uh, Spanish influenza, and other historical forces gave rise to a need to communicate with the other side. And parts of society that had long turned their back on the idea of communication with ancestors and other spirits um, after the age of rationalism, this sort of thing just wasn't done. And, uh, you know, the Middle Ages, where they were uh, crucifying and breaking on the rack and burning at the stakes, people who could do it, uh, a lot of the wonder workers were just, whole families of wonder workers and spiritual workers were decimated, just destroyed. And it took a long time 
for those skills to be built. We, we still haven't. We still don't have people today that can do the things that could be done before in the Middle Ages. Um, we still don't. Uh, very rare, very rare. Whole bloodlines were wiped out. So people didn't know. They had everyone, every family had husbands, um, sons, uncles, fathers that went off to war. And we didn't have information services back then like we do now. They didn't know what happened. So the necessity of being able to penetrate the veil and communicate with spirits became paramount. And people were doing it in their homes with teacups and um, spirit and slates, you know, just chalkboards and all pendulums and all kinds of things, just to say, Johnny, are you okay? We don't know what happened to you. Are you dead or are you lost somewhere? Um, you know, maybe maybe their uh, son was wandering around not knowing who he was. Maybe he wasn't dead. Maybe he was captured or something. They they had to know. So they would have a planchette or a teacup and cards with letters on them and say, are you okay? And, you know, yes, mother. Yeah. It's real. It's very nice here uh, in Summerland. I'm here with grandpa and grandma. And, you know, remember my dog spot when we were a kid, he's here too. And it's nice here. And what, what a comfort this was. The Spanish influenza came. Children were dying by the thousands. Children. Everybody had children in their family that died. You know, little Mary, four years old. You know, Johnny, Peter, are you okay? The grief was intolerable. Are you okay? Yeah, Mom, it's good up here. It's fun. It's fun. You know, we're you know my little kitten's up here too. Remember my little kitten that got you know run over by the horse? You know, Pansy the kitten. C- can you feel it? I mean, can you feel it? And so there was a resurgence. It was not invented. It was a resurgence. And then along came. A entire group of people transplanted, entire races of people transplanted from their native soil, brought to America, perforce, who brought these traditions that they've been practicing for untold thousands of years uh, to America. And under horrendous oppression, uh, horrendous racism, uh, their their own spiritual beliefs treated like superstition, uh, like childish superstition. Um, the age old conflict: my superstitions are better than yours. I believe in you know the, the Christian saying, I believe in ghosts. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe in a guy that was born of a of a spirit, died, and came back from the dead, and uh, then he. Uh, he was able to raise the dead himself. So, but you know, you guys can't believe that because you know it's superstitious. And uh, so, what were they to make of this? Um, it was a conflict of ideologies. And I'm not criticizing Christianity at all. I'm talking about the ideological bigotry that was imposed. So, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, arose the spiritual movement, which grew out of the spiritualist church. And the spiritual movement was African American and Native American. Uh, it arose out of New Orleans. And Leafy Anderson, Mother Leafy Anderson, was the founder of the New Orleans spiritual churches. And uh, 
I'm going to tell you that uh, in around 1918, Leaf Anderson was 31. We this is what we know. We don't know much about her, but she left Chicago, heading to New Orleans. Now we don't know much about her husband. She was married, and we don't know why she moved from Chicago to New Orleans. We can only speculate. Uh, and she moved to ministry to New Orleans. Now, she uh, we know that she began holding services out of a small house on Melpomene Street, which is a neighborhood um, now that's uh, a housing project. But then she moved to a, a bigger space about two miles away in the Longshoreman's Hall on uh, Jackson Avenue. And she began to draw crowds of upward to 500 people, including many whites, the spiritual church attracted blacks and whites to her services three days a week, Sunday, Monday, and Thursday. Now, there's a lot of uh, material on Mother Anderson um, uh, that was uh, drawn from interviews done during the Depression by the Federal Writers Project. And uh, if you read this, they used to try to capture the dialects of uh, Cajuns and uh, poor whites and, uh, and blacks at the time. So it's kind of hard to read, but they'll uh, they say that um, uh, in the Longshoreman Hall there were people they saw Mother Anderson do great work, and uh, they said uh, she had she had to do work because she said you know how these people are in New Orleans they think everything's fake. Said so Mother Anderson made them think differently. She started curing the sick, and she started telling what was what, and they soon opened their eyes and they started following Mother Anderson. She said, that woman used to take in so much money, she didn't know what to do with it. Uh, this woman they interviewed um, said, uh, I saw her with so much as $500 on a Sunday morning. This was in the early 20s during the Depression. She believed in charging. She said the spirits wouldn't work for nothing and that she didn't fool with that kind of spirit who worked for nothing, you see. Her spirits was expensive spirits. And we have a description of her. We have pictures of her. We have photographs of her. It says she wore a robe of yellow and gold overdraped with a mantlet bearing the image of Black Hawk and three bracelets on her left arm that tended to slide off when she lit the furnaces on cold nights. She had a diamond ring said to be worth $250, which in, in the 20s, that's quite a bit of money. And on the street, she was given to, quote, loud dresses and fancy made shoes. Now, on Friday nights, she held classes charging a dollar a person with about 80 people a night. And she taught her students the art of prophecy and how to heal and how to pray and how to see spirits. They were instructed how to read the Bible properly. And she had 10 reverends that were listed as her leading students, and two of the 10 were white. From this group emerged very many uh, uh, people who created spiritual churches of their own. And uh, apparently, around 1920, Mother Anderson purchased a three-story building on Amelia Street, which is now uptown, by the way. Um, the entrance door with its circular arch was framed by a pair of windows with ovoid-shaped arches. And apparently... Um, this uh, building is now a Baptist church. So this is when she 
really began to have an influence. She called this church the Eternal Life Christian Spiritualist Church Number 12, which apparently signified a branch of the church that had been her focus in Chicago in 1914 and for several years before she moved to the South. Now, uh, one of her key protégés was Bishop Bessie Johnson, who also opened a church later. And Bessie Johnson said that Leafy Anderson was half Mohawk, which is very important when we think about Black Hawk, which is one of her spirit guides. Um, now, a lot of people say you don't know that, but if you look at pictures of Leafy Anderson, she had light skin. She had a mixture of uh, facial features. I believe that she was part Native American. Now, um, apparently um, in 1926, there was a, uh, colleagues of the Eternal Life Christian Spiritual Church uh, came from uh, all over the country. They came from Illinois, Florida, Texas. They met at a church in New Orleans and um, had quite a uh, quite a uh, convention, quite a feat. They, uh, and she presented Black Hawk as a spirit guide. And uh, it was a, um, a symbolic statement of justice. And this is the first printed reference to, to Black Hawk in the program. It said, a collection taken up by Black Hawk, $17.83 before a ceremony in which four spirit guides are introduced by Reverend Leafy Anderson, the others being, other than Black Hawk, Father Jones, White Hawk, and the Virgin Mary. So we begin to see her uh, cosmology of spirits. So this mysterious Father Jones, um, who apparently she worked with all the way back from her uh, ministry in Chicago, and the Virgin Mary seem to be um, opposites, um, and the two the two Native Americans, White Hawk and Black Hawk, are also um, poles, polar opposites. Uh, there's no reference to Jesus whatsoever, though um, you you would think Virgin Mary would include Jesus, uh, but there's no reference to Jesus in her. Um, um, uh, to Jesus himself, uh, the famous uh, historian uh, Zora Neale Hurston, whose uh, who's, uh, literature is must-reading if you're going to study hoodoo, uh, found that Leafy Anderson's followers did not ever mention the name of Jesus. Jesus as a man was not important. He was the earthly body of, of spirit, by which name in spiritualist churches the deity is always addressed. Spirit. Now music is always uh, an elemental part of the spirit world of Mother Anderson. Uh, the organizer of the Eternal Light Spiritual Church, I'm quoting now, had a red-hot six-piece swing band that played the hymns in jazz time and style, wrote a, a fellow named Robert McKinney, using spiritual, dropping the ist, as the church's by the late 1930s had done. The spiritualist churches became spiritual churches by 1930. And uh, I want to tell you that uh, Robert McKinney, who wrote about spiritual churches, uh, was uh, 
unforgivably snide in his the the book is very good historically, but he's very snide. He puts a lot of quotes around it, you know, uh, quote prophecy, quote spiritual, quote psychic, quote this and quote spirits, and you, know, you can tell he he's utterly skeptical about the whole thing. You know, well screw him. You know, you know whatever his beliefs are, screw him and the horse he rode in on. Uh, so uh, uh, Mother Dora, who was one of her disciples, said uh, Mother Anderson loved her music and swung it down when she preached. Uh, so apparently she uh, she made that church swing, <clears throat> and there was uh, shouting and laughing and singing and dancing in her uh, spiritual churches. Um, um, so uh, we we find quite a bit of. Uh, uh, evidence that there was a revolution that went on that um, uh, one of her hit, favorite hymns was uh, <clears throat> When the Saints Come Marching Home which is an early version of When the Saints Go Marching In uh, on her uh, list there was uh, I Expect to Spend Eternity Singing Around the Throne in Jerusalem My Happy Home uh, uh, many songs like this now Leafy Anderson also um uh, brought in spiritualist uh, lectures from Lilydale, New York, which was a very famous, exists to this day, a spiritualist camp. Um, and um, apparently, um, there's a, um, uh, a presentation she gave, which was in the form of a play, where Black Hawk uh, would possess her, and uh, these ceremonies were spirit possessions, spirit summoning. She performed in the spirit's voice, um, and it was a drama of Indian retribution. And you understand that this retribution, this justice, would have been charged with meaning for both Native Americans and for blacks and for poor whites in New Orleans in the 20s. Um, and if you go back several generations, uh, many blacks would talk about their Indian heritage in New Orleans. The Cajuns and the Creoles um, often had Native American ancestry as well. Um, and um, not many, if you understand, do you understand that in the 20s, uh, not many blacks talked about Africa? They, they didn't know about it. That had been utterly stolen and erased. Um, they did not. They didn't know about it. And, um, I mean, can can you imagine it? I mean, can you dig it? By, you know, 100 years, 150 years removed uh, from Africa. Um, and and I'm, I'm not, I'm not whitewashing history here. Um, this is from testimony. People remember this. They said, uh, you know, my parents, my grandparents, they never mentioned, they didn't know about Africa. They never talked about it. It was a blank. They didn't even know about it. Uh, um, and so, but what you're seeing in these spiritual churches are remnants of African spiritual and religious rituals. And um, the, um, and so, but Indian blood and Indian spiritual um, rituals were quite frequently mentioned. Um, 
so many blacks had married Indian women. Many um, Indians had married blacks. Uh, the tribes would accept uh, willingly and gladly escaped slaves. So um, I've, I've uh, seen ancestry uh, uh, genetic DNA matches, and it will say uh, many many uh, African Americans have Indian ancestry. Uh, I'm from Native American ancestry, and uh, I have Bantu. I have South Southeastern African uh, traces in my blood. There was a lot of intermarriages between Native Americans and African Americans. So, but you understand that the uh, the whites, the slave owners, tried to erase the African memory, but there were traces of the spirituality that survived. So part of this legacy of racism was to try to erase the the knowledge of Africa and what they brought over. But some of the music survived and some of the spirituality survived. So there was still, though, a brotherhood or a uh, familial connection to the natives of this continent. So, um, I mean, can you can you dig it? So, imagine since they they cannot connect with the heroes of their own tribes, you know, like, like we can now. Uh, you know, now African Americans are reclaiming their culture. You know, since what, the 50s, 60s? Um, they got their heroes where they could. So, Black Hawk, the last of the the outlaw Indian Native American warriors. So, um, along comes Leafy Anderson. And we don't know much about her, Um uh, According to an obituary in uh, December 15, 1927, uh, it says that she was born in 1887 in Balboa, Wisconsin, which a town that doesn't exist. Um, and the death certificate said the body went to Chicago for burial. Um, so what was this fictitious city? Um, some people say it might have been a mistake, and some people said that it was a town. She just didn't want anybody to know where she came from. It was to blot out her past. And uh, um, there's a few shreds of biographical information. Um, um, so apparently, uh, she uh, she was born in Norfolk, Virginia, according to uh, someone that knew the family, and she moved from there to California. Then she came to uh, Louisiana with her brother. Lewis Anderson, and her maiden name was Anderson, and she married an Anderson, uh, which is interesting. Her husband, whose name was William, was from someplace down in the bayou near Raceland. Now, according to uh, a friend of the family, Leafy was born out of wedlock in Norfolk, which may account for the discrepancy in her stated birthplace. Um, so apparently in Raceland, um, she got all tangled up with this guy and had – she had so many herbs and fruits growing around her home in Raceland that people thought the herbs were for voodoo stuff. I'm quoting here. And she had a son named George by William Anderson. 
However, things didn't go smoothly for the married couple, and he didn't like the spiritual denomination, says uh, Bishop Caldwell, one of her uh, trainees. They always said this was voodoo work and used to call her a witch. So she and her husband broke up because of her spiritual work. So uh, what is more or less known is that uh, Leafy Anderson lived in Raceland, Louisiana for several years prior to 1914. And then her name appears in a Chicago city directory. Then she went from Raceland back to Chicago. Uh, she was the founder and president of the Eternal Life Christian Spiritualist Churches, which was composed of 12 churches in various sections of the United States, the oldest being the one in Chicago, which she founded in 1913, where she was 40 years of age, and she'd been preaching and healing for 14 years. She's credited with many miraculous cures. So she was 26 when she founded the first church in Chicago, which is pretty young for any kind of minister. Um, and uh, Black Hawk apparently came to her in a vision in Chicago. So the bishop, uh, one of the bishops said that Leafy walked from Virginia to New Orleans, carrying and spreading the word, being a missionary from the Lord. Now, the word she spread was not... Uh, the echoing Christian uh, uh, spiritualism, but Leafy was a spiritualist who believed in the power of human mediums to communicate with spirits of the dead. Let us not make a mistake there. Let's, don't be mistaken. She believed that human mediums could communicate with spirits of the dead. Now, 19th century spiritualism uh, was big in the Northeast and the Midwest at that time. And New Orleans already had a whole bunch of spiritualists, especially among the Creoles. The original movement, which was largely white, sought to prove immortality of the soul through communication of spirits. Many of the mediums were women. Spiritualism was marked by rebellion against death and rebellion against authority. And by affirming the emancipation of women, spiritualism threatened the male status quo. Christians associated the occult with spiritualism, which drew scorn and fascination in equal measure from the press. The idea of trances, spirits, and God's eminence in nature clashed with Christian worship and Christian patriarchy. By the 20s, the strain of spiritualism had branched into Christianity. Without a firm Base though, spiritualist churches with white as well as black adherents split into a maze of tributaries. If you read the history of spiritualism, you had uh, 20 or 30 different branches. Some borrowed from the Catholic cult of saints. Others formed around dominating messianic preachers. There were uh, branches of spiritualism that practiced celibacy. Oh, there are all kinds of... Uh, Leafy Anderson's... Uh, um, Life points to Chicago as the place where her vision came together. Now, did she read Black Hawk's uh, autobiography? Did she attend seances? Did she encounter the Indian spirit from Father Jones, her first mentor? How they met, we don't know. But they hit it off very well. Uh, when Mother Anderson first came to New Orleans, uh, she, she told her congregation to pray to Black Hawk because he was a great saint for spiritualists only. She called Black Hawk to a special council for her congregation, and many of her uh, congregations saw him. 
Mother Ashford pointed him out and said, there's your saint. There is your saint. Go to him for anything you want. He'll never disappoint you. And Mother Dora Tyson, who went on to found her own church, said, I was the first one to go to him, and I'm telling you, he never disappointed me. We had a special night to honor and pay our respects to Black Hawk. She said, I don't know where Mother Black Hawk got him, or Mother Anderson got Black Hawk. I think he came to her one time and said that he was the first one to start spiritualism in this country way before the white man came here. And uh, so let's talk about Black Hawk then. And uh, well, let's a little bit about spirit guides. Uh, uh, spirit guides, according to the spiritualist tradition started by Leafy Anderson, can be adopted from the living world or the world beyond. And they can be received either through a medium or through prayer. And the idea of interweaving zones between the spirit world and earthly existence is profoundly African and a sign of how the Founders' vision has evolved. Because in the 30s, a line of Reverend Mothers emerged from Leafy's uh, church to found churches of their own. There were storefront tabernacles, and in the case of a very famous spiritualist, uh, Mother Catherine Seals, a compound. She had a, it was like a nunnery where she took in wayward women, homeless women, uh, women who'd been kicked out of their families, and uh, Mother Catherine Seals had uh, like 200 women that lived uh, in this uh, compound. Um, so prophecies were uh, common in spiritual churches, uh, miracles and healings. And um, um, I want to tell you, in Mother Catherine Seals' compound, uh, they practiced um, uh, uh, celibacy. It was it was like a uh, a nunnery. So we're looking at a huge. Uh, if you see pictures of uh, the Temple of the Innocent Blood, which is the compound of Mother Catherine Seals, there were hundreds of women that lived there at one point. So uh, let's talk about Black Hawk. He was a Salk warrior, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about um, the uh, the Black Hawk Wars uh, in the 18th century around. Um, Around uh, the Salk and the uh, Meskawaki Native American tribes lived along the Mississippi River around uh, Illinois and Iowa. The tribes had become closely connected after they were kicked out of the Great Lakes region uh, by New France and some other Native American tribes that associated with France, particularly the uh, after the uh, what was called the Fox Wars of the 1730s. Now, by the time of what became known as the Black Hawk War, the population of the two tribes was around 6,000 people. So the U.S. began expanding westward, right, eminent domain, in the early 19th century. So government officials, United States officials, tried to buy as much land uh, as possible from the Native Americans. So in 1804, uh, William Henry Harrison negotiated a treaty in St. Louis, uh, in which a group of Salk and uh, uh, Mesakawi leaders supposedly sold their lands east of the Mississippi uh, for more than $2,200 um, in goods and, and an annuity. So the treaty became controversial because the native leaders had not been authorized by their tribal councilors to do this. Um, so uh, various historians 
have pointed out that the Chiefs probably didn't intend to give up ownership of the land and that they, they never would have sold so much valuable territory to begin with for such a low price. So uh, it's been concluded by various historians that the Sauk and uh, Meskwaki Chiefs intended to give a little bit of land, but that the Americans included more territory in the contract than the natives realized, which is still done in real estate deals, by the way. Uh, according um, to some historians, the Sox and uh, Meskwaki's didn't learn the true extent of the uh, contract until many years later, and were they mad? So, um, but the treaty allowed the natives to use the land until it was sold to American settlers. So, you know, here were guys, you know, many uh, men and women living on this land until the settlers came and said, oh, well, we bought this. You got to go. And uh, so for the next 20 years or so, 25 years or so, Sox continued to live uh, in their primary villages, which was around the area of the Mississippi River. Uh, and in 1828, the U.S. government began to uh, have the land surveyed and started selling it. Um, so the government came by and said, informed the Sox they should vacate. Uh, and uh, uh, all their settlements east of the Mississippi. So the Sox were divided about whether to resist it or to or to just go along with it. Most Sox decided to relocate west of the Mississippi rather than become involved in a confrontation with the entire United States. The leader of this group was Keokuk, who becomes bitter enemies with Black Hawk at some point. Uh, he helped defend against the Americans in the War of 1812. Keokuk was not a chief, but he was a diplomat, and he often uh, spoke with the uh, um, the people there. Black Hawk did not want to do this. So um, about 800 Sox followed uh, Keokuk, which is about one-sixth of the tribe. Black Hawk, who was a war captain, he was not a chief, he was a war captain. He fought against the United States in 1812. He was now in his 60s, mind you. He became um, a leader of people who said, no, hell no. Uh, he became a rival, like a political rival to Keokuk, and uh, uh, he insisted that it had been what he, he, he realized that what had been written down was not what was being uh, realized. So, according to Blackhawk, the whites were in the habit of saying one thing to the Indians and putting another thing down on paper. He was pretty sharp. So, Blackhawk was determined to hold on to the land where he'd been living and born. After, he after they returned to the village around 1829-1830, after the annual winter hut, they found it had been occupied by white squatters who were anticipating the sale of land. So after a lot of uh, minor skirmishes with the s squatters, the Sox left in September for the next winter hunt. They, they were hoping to avoid confrontations. Keokuk told the gover government that he and his followers would not return to Sockinock. Well, Black Hawk said no. So Black Hawk and his followers became known as the British Band because they sometimes flew a British flag to defy claims of U.S. sovereignty and because they hoped to gain the support of the British at Fort Malden in Canada. Well, the British Band uh, returned to Sockinock, and uh, Black Hawk's following had grown to about 1,500 braves and now included uh, some other tribes as well. Uh, and uh, 
so the uh, American army assembled troops with the hope of intimidating Black Hawk into leaving. They didn't know who they were dealing with. Uh, so uh, around 1830-31, uh, there was an assault launched by the American army, only to find that Black Hawk and his followers had abandoned the village <laughs> and recrossed it Mississippi. So uh, Black Hawk and a few other uh, leaders uh, met with Gaines and signed an agreement in which the Sox promised to rem- remain west of the Mississippi and break off further contact with the British. Well, Black Hawk didn't remain west very long. Um, um, there was uh, He teamed up with a shaman named White Cloud who um, claimed that other tribes were ready to support Black Hawk, and this led to a huge war, which we will pick up next time um, when Black Hawk takes on basically the entire American army. Um, there's an intertribal war. Um, uh, Abraham Lincoln got his uh, uh, service in the, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln was basically an Indian killer, although he didn't really shed much blood. He bragged about it during his uh, campaign. He was in the uh, Illinois Infantry, fought against Indians, freed the slaves, but fought against Indians, and uh, uh, he has his role in here as well. We'll, we'll continue this exciting story next week. Uh, as we continue our tale of Black Hawk and why he became a saint in the spiritual church. Uh, Come back next week. We'll talk about it. Because it's very interesting.